Welcome to the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Michael Davis grew up in Brazil. While attending an American school, he heard about Cedarville through a local college fair. After he moved to the United States, he experienced culture shock that he was not prepared for. Listen to his Cedarville story now. Here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. We are two weeks past a very active homecoming weekend, and I hope you are able to return to campus and see for yourself many of the exciting new developments that are taking place on campus. And with homecoming as a theme for today's program, I thought it was a good idea to talk with Michael Davis, a 1990 graduate from Brazil with a degree in communications. While he was a student, Michael played soccer for Coach McGilvery and was active with SGA's social committee. Since graduating from Cedarville, Michael has been using his communication degree quite well. He has worked in television and big screen movies since graduating, and today he's the lead producer on an upcoming Christian motion picture that will be in movie theaters across the country real soon. We'll talk more about his role on this movie later on the program. But for now, Michael and his family reside in Raleigh, North Carolina. And with that introduction, let me welcome Michael Davis to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much. I am ecstatic to be able to be on your program and on the podcast. Well, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you reached out to us. And uh, But I'd like to begin the, today's program by hearing about your four years at Cedarville. Uh, it's a, probably a great place to start since we're, we're just a couple of weeks uh, removed from homecoming. Um, let's begin with how you first learned of Cedarville being a young student living in Brazil. Well, I, I went to an American Christian high school in Brazil called Pan American Christian Academy in Sao Paulo. And uh, some of my friends growing up, uh, their older brothers and sisters had gone to Cedarville. Um, and so I had already heard of Cedarville even in, I think, or as early as probably middle school, eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe uh, early, early high school. Um, and, uh, and then my, one of my, we had a, one of the missionary kids, uh, friends of ours lived with us. Uh, his name was Steve Cox. And he, his older brother had gone to Cedarville. Actually, his older brother and sister had gone to Cedarville. Uh, and uh, his younger sister ended up going to Cedarville as well while I was there. Um, and, uh, Steve, he lived with us, uh, during the week and went to school with in Sao Paulo, but his family lived out kind of an hour or two from, from the city. So they would, he would kind of go back and forth and he decided to go to Cedarville. So I heard a lot about Cedarville at that point in time. And then I, uh, when I was starting to look at colleges and universities, obviously with all that information, it was one that we, I, I wanted to, 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 my dad actually wanted me to apply. And it was funny because I, you know, I played soccer in Brazil and um, I, there was a, the, the school would put on a, uh, well, there were several American high schools in Sao Paulo and uh, pretty large at the time American community. And so they would put on a, a what they call the college fair and colleges and universities from all over the United States, you know, Boston College and Columbia and all these different schools would come to Brazil and do a fair. And Cedarville actually went that year and it would rotate between kind of the high schools, you know. So one year it was at a, a school called Graded. Then there was another school called 
uh, chapel, um, and they would kind of rotate the, the the this fair. And that particular year was held at at our school. And following at the end of that day, there was a soccer game, and um, I actually had a really good game that day. Mm-hmm. And after the game, um, Doctor Rickard came up to me. He had, he was the one that was representing, I guess, Cedarville with um, Dave Ormsby. And they they were the ones that came to me and, and he gave me his card and said, you know, you should think about coming to Cedarville. So that was kind of like the first official kind of introduction to the school. And then they wanted me to send a videotapes back in the day yeah, before right. all of the technology we have today. I actually mailed a, 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 a VHS tape to Coach McGilvery. And uh, and then I ended up, getting, you know, came to came ended up actually funny story. I, um, I had two offers, Cedarville and a school out in Oregon uh, called uh, George Fox University. Sure. And uh, uh, a friend of mine was from Oregon and he said, you know, Mike, it rains twice a year in Oregon, the first time for six months and the other time for six months. <laughs> so I opted to go to Cedarville. We ended up going to the national tournament in 1988 and we uh, went up against uh, in the semifinals against George Fox University and we lost. I think if I had gone to George Fox, I might have been a national champion. But anyway, that's uh, kind of a little fu- funny story for me because uh, I ended up meeting the school that the two that I kind of had thought about, you know, was down to the wire between the two. Right. Ended up going to Cedarville, which but it was amazing. I had a, I only have good memories of the time I spent there. Yeah. So when I went to college, I traveled about maybe three hours and 15 minutes to get to my school, which wasn't Cedarville. You traveled hours. What was the transition like for you to to travel that far, a different culture, different time zone? Everything is different uh, for you. How, how was that transition for you at Cedarville? Well, I, I think growing up in American high school in Brazil, I, I always had this dream of coming to America and being in America. Um, but I will say that it, it actually surprisingly, even though I can speak English, you don't detect an accent or anything, but I am Brazilian. I'm my mother's Brazilian. My my family's all Brazilian, but uh, there are a lot of cultural things that I all of a sudden realized that I had. It was like I had uh, no clue what you were talking about, even though I understood everything you were saying. Particularly cultural references, movie references, or TV shows that were popular, you know, in those years that I hadn't, you know, particularly like the Brady Bunch, for instance. I have like this big void of information you know today i have more because i've lived here long enough to kind of know some of that but at the time people would make references of things and i would it would just fly right over top of me because i didn't know but i was so excited i think my i didn't want to disappoint my father uh and so for me i just put my nose to the grindstone really and i wanted to do well in soccer i wanted to do well in my schoolwork and my goal was to at least make it through my freshman year. And if I, I said, if I can make my freshman year, and then I think the rest will be fine. And that's really what happened. I, I, I mean, I, I felt like I was, um, the good side of it was, yes, I, I, it's like, I don't know, it's a 13, 14 hour, you know, trip in terms of with connections and everything, probably 14 to 17 hours of travel. When I got to Cedarville, I, you know, I landed with two suitcases and, but I was very well received from everybody. And, even my teammates at the time, and I was, you know, brand new. I remember I got to Cedarville in the morning, and uh, they had already started uh, practicing and uh, the preseason. And I was, you know, by 
I had lunch and then three o'clock I was on the field practicing. So it, it was very much a Im- deep immersion quick <laughs> into all things Cedarville. And, and soccer is probably a, a common thread that made it feel a little more comfortable for you right out, right out of the gate, right? Yeah, and I, I think it helped a lot because, you know, at the time, you know, it was only a few students that were there. They didn't have, you know, summer school wasn't a big thing. I think there were a lot of the nursing students were there because they had a, a, a longer program. Um, some of the cross country and some of the other athletes were there as well. And so we had kind of this smaller group and, you know, a lot of the professors would, you know, would still be eating there. So I got to start to know people, staff, um, you know, the, the people that worked in the cafeteria and all that were, you know, soon became people recognizable and, and joking around and whatnot. And, and so that transition, I think, helped a lot in, in, in terms of my freshman year. As I mentioned in the introduction, you played four years of soccer for Coach McGilvery. Um, I did. Does any any point, any story come out where how he really impacted your life, whether it's personally, spiritually, or professionally? Oh, man. I think he, it's hard. I even get choked up because uh, Coach was just uh, a wonderful guy. Um, I just saw him, I think, about a year ago now, and I know he still does some things at the school, but he was just always so supportive of who I was and what I did and, and, uh, just all the, all the, anytime we had difficulty, you know, um, I remember my, my junior year, he's like, you know, I think you can do better. And I want to, I'm going to run with you every day in the summer. And I worked on campus on the, on the landscaping and we ran, we would go running every night after, after, after we did a whole day of work, we'd go to his house, we'd have dinner, we'd go, yeah, we'd have dinner and then we'd go run. And, uh, I did that for an entire summer. And I think that I probably had my greatest season because of that. And, um, but just, just a great father, a good role model, somebody that, you know, he, he really treated us like a dad, you know, wanted to make sure we were okay, you know, call us up to his office every once in a while to, chat and make sure we were doing all right especially some of us that were you know international i think he you know wanted to make sure we were okay yeah so i don't know i I just have really good uh one of the the people that i hold dear to my time at cedarville and i can tell that and it's it's really nice to see the um the natural love that that flows out of you when you you just heard uh, coach mcgilvery's name and uh, that speaks to a lot of things and one thing it speaks to is um a, a shared faith in Jesus. Um, do you mind? Do you mind sharing your story? Absolutely. I mean, I was brought up in a Christian home. I we went to a Christian high school, so all of those kinds of things. But I, I was actually uh, saved at a, a youth camp um, with Youth for Christ. One of the the leaders of Youth for Christ for Brazil was um, his kids went to our high school. It was through him that I uh, my ex, you know I accepted Jesus through, with him, and 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 his he, he's also a great role model and somebody that I esteemed greatly and uh, I think was, you know, nurtured in, 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 a, in an environment that really fostered, you know, that, that process at, 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 at Pan American Christian Academy. So, um, and then from there, it was a natural thing to go to Cedarville. You know, it just kind of all went together. Yeah. Hand in glove. But I like to transition to hearing how you first got interested in making films. Has that always been something of an interest in yours or where did that uh, interest come? Michael? Um, actually, you know, it's funny. We were talking, you know, a little bit before we started about 
Mr. Leitenheimer, we can talk more about him too, because he was a great influence in my life and was my uh, advisor. And But uh, I actually, when I first went to Cedar Hill, was thinking about going to business, although I always loved uh, radio and uh, in Brazil at the time, you know, it was very somewhat archaic in terms of, you know, television and, and radio and in terms of uh, compared to the United States, you know, in terms of the number of channels and that kind of stuff. And back then, uh I had this, you know, I, I don't know, I, I always, I did a lot of drama in, in high school and despite, you know, it was either when I did sports, I also did drama and was involved in those kinds of things. I enjoyed uh, the storytelling kind of thing and stories to me were always very intriguing. Uh, and so when I went to Cedarville, uh, I think it was Mr. Mr. Leinheimer's like, Hey, you know, I needed to take some electives. I was taking some general courses my freshman year. And I think he, I had to do an elective and I, I opted to do, he's like, Hey, you could do uh, I think there was some communication class and I don't remember which one it was to be honest, but uh, I remember him saying, you know, we should do maybe do a communication class. If that's, if you, you know, interested kind of in communications, radio, whatever. Cause I, I think I mentioned that to him. So I did. And it was like, Whoa, this whole new world kind of popped in my, who I, you know, into my mind of like, this is interesting. And so I took another class and, and shortly thereafter, I switched majors. I switched to communications from from business, and uh, I originally, you know, wanted to get into radio and television, and that's what I actually did out of uh, after Cedarville. Right. Uh, my first few years out, I worked in radio and television. Uh, worked in South Bend, Indiana, for Lacey Broadcasting, and uh, on the radio side, and then I that was in the first Gulf war. And then we helped, uh, I helped the, them with a lot of translation stuff on their, they had a short wave radio. Mm. So I was involved on that kind of on an international level in terms of their Spanish. They had n- nobody that could speak Spanish <laughs> and they had, you know, this whole, they were beaming to all of South America, getting thousands of letters that when people would actually get letters in the mail yeah. and none of them were being answered. So we helped them kind of devise a way to respond to these bags of mail that they kept getting. And uh, so it was part of that. And then I transitioned, they, they also owned television properties and I kind of worked a little bit in television with them. And then I, from there, I ended up um, moving to up to Illinois and worked up there in radio for a while and then got into some ad agencies and it was at the ad agency level that I realized that, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to just make ads for, for some product, nothing against that. I think that's, there's a lot of merit for people that do that, but it didn't really feel like that was what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to get involved in more the creative, longer, you know, storytelling kinds of stuff. And, you know, we had, the, where I was working at, I was working at a production company slash agency and Illinois and we started doing music videos and then we started doing we did a the owners decided to do a cartoon a faith-based cartoon called tales from the ark and um, I was tasked to getting that to finding a way to get it distributed and uh, and it was at that point that I really once we did that project and while I wasn't involved necessarily on the creative I did a voice and you know I did some voice work on it and I was actually one of the characters in the cartoon Hmm. but I uh I, um, I wasn't really involved in the writing. I wasn't involved in the directorial part of it. I was help, I mainly helped in the commercial side of it, meaning getting it distributed, getting it into the marketplace. And what we did is we created a, a two, three minute uh, teaser. And I went to Nashville and 
started having meetings with different companies and uh, the guys at what is now Sony Affirm. Um, back then it was part of Provident. It was called Provident Music Group and they had reunion records and all this, but it was all the Sony kind of, it was the forefather of what we have today. Right. Yeah. They loved it. And, and at that point, the kind of light bulb went off, like, man, this is what I really want to do. I want to, I want to create content. This is really what I want to do. And, and shortly after that, I, I started up Jump Pictures in 2000. So um, it's, uh, it's been a 22 year journey of this experience of, you know, creating stories and telling them hopefully to the best of our ability and trying to, you know, not, you know, one going back to Cedarville, you know, one of the things that has stuck with me my entire life is um, Dr. Dixon every year would have a theme. I don't know if they still do this. You know, it's been decades since I've been there so in terms of day to day, but they used to have a theme for the year. And the one year that I was there, I think it was 88 or 89. I can't remember the exact year, but I think one of those two, the, the theme was making a difference. And that's been basically my, I don't know what, it, what, you know, motto, you know, calling and hopefully through entertainment and through storytelling and creative arts, we can make a difference in, in the world through, you know, great stories that influence, entertain, inspire. Those are the things that we want to try to do. That's, that's neat, uh, Michael. And, you, you've led me to really to my next question. Um, as I as I did the research uh, as best I could about you, I, I learned that you've produced 18 feature films in your professional career, countless hours of television, you mentioned that, and documentaries. Um, and maybe you've already answered this question, but of all that you've done, what what would you say is maybe your most favorite project that you've worked on? Man, that, that, I get that question a lot. And it's really funny because I usually answer, you know, my latest project is the one that I love the most because it's the one I'm working on. But the fact is, uh, there's been two projects that I really have been really, I think, interesting for me personally. One of them was a Civil War movie that I did called Union Bound. It's on Amazon Prime and a num- I think it's on a number of other platforms um, out there so you can find it. Um, mainly because I learned so much about the United States that I didn't even know in history of the United States through doing that project and the civil war in a much greater detail. And so for me that personally, that was an interesting project from that perspective and the challenges of making a a historical piece was also for me, reason I like it is because we were able to do some things and creatively make a movie that I think is, you know, a good, portrayal of the times and we've gotten very good response you know critics and uh, just individuals over the years telling us how you know historically accurate it is and even you know how the the costumes and everything that we've done was so you know to a t on on that and that's that was my goal in, in that project so i have a lot of kind of pride in that particular one because of those factors um the second one i think is and it's not because it's coming out now but it's you know paul's promise to me has become one of my favorite projects or perhaps the favorite because of a number of elements um primarily some of the friendships that i've created making that film and are people that i you know we've done a couple of other projects together 
Uh, I'm hoping that in there, uh, you know, I think we're all in agreement uh, between us that we'll we'll hopefully do more together. And that's that's been something very dear to me. And, you know, to make a movie in general is a miracle. There are so many moving parts. There are so many people that, as I say, put their hand in the dough that can ruin the recipe from audio to the visuals to the actors. There's just so many people that are touching it that any one little thing can really derail an entire project. And so for me, Paul's Promise is, you know, is not just a miracle of that, which is already, you know, I, I take my hat off to anybody that does a feature film because it's, it, it is a momentous thing to do with all the moving parts. But the fact of the matter is it was, you know, the way it was funded, the way it all came together uh, was a miracle in itself. This movie was meant to be made. There's no, it's almost like I, if we have to just watch it do its thing, because if we step in the way, we're just going to get plowed over. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we're shooting in New Mexico and, and we're actually making a movie, which while everything else is shut down, we're, that didn't stop us, you know, it didn't stop the, nothing could stop the production, you know, that the unions tried to shut it down and it, they didn't, the actors all band together and said, we're going to do this. And they coalesced <laughs> and we ended up making the film. And so all of these things, you know, that happened, uh, it was pretty tumultuous and, and yet the film was made. And so for me, putting all that together, it's, it's one that's going to be in the, for sure, with all the other projects I've done, you know, in the top because of all that. And uh, so I, I would say those two right now. Michael, how did you get involved in this project and what's your role with Paul's Promise? Well, the Paul's Promise, uh, you know, um, my producing partners, Ryan O'Quinn and Heather O'Quinn uh, and I were working on another film. It, we were getting ready. And that's, this is why it was a miracle. The whole thing came together was on a Friday afternoon, we were supposed to close on a deal to go into production on another film. The guy that owned the script, the guy that had put up all the money or vast majority of the money on a Friday afternoon, as we're sitting there kind of on a Zoom like this, uh, informed us that he is pulling out, that the deal is dead. We're not doing it. If you don't like it, you can sue me, that kind of thing. So Friday afternoon, it's, I don't know, two, three in the afternoon. I'm going two years, basically almost two years of work or just went down the toilet. Um, what are we going to do? I felt tremendously <laughs> beaten and uh, my reputation I felt was destroyed because I was, I had put all this together. Fortunately, as I said, these dear friends understood the, the, the circumstances and were very supportive and said, you know, we're going to work something out, you know, and the next morning, not, not 12 hours later, I get a call from a guy, Nick Logan from uh, Salt Shaker Media, who we had talked a couple years before about a movie called Paul's Promise. And he's like, Mike, remember that movie? He goes, at the time, he's like, well, I'm going to go with some other guys. I gave him my word and blah, blah, blah. And apparently that went, that kind of also fell apart. And he reached out to me and said, remember that movie we talked about? He goes, well, I'm now, you know, free and clear. And I'm, I'm looking for a new group to help me. I, and he threw out a number and it literally was the exact number that we had just lost the day before. And he said, you know, I would like to make this movie. This is how much I have. I'm willing to put it in tomorrow. And I had some other investors and I said, okay, well, let me, uh, let me see what we can do. 
and I'll talk to my people. And uh, if you're if you're serious, let's try to put this together. And we had all the approvals. Everything in New Mexico is ready to go. We had done we had done location scouting. And when I go when I went through the script, I'm going, well, yeah, I, I remember seeing a, a hospital. We need a hospital check. I remember needing a you know this check. Uh, we need a farm check. I mean, it's all these different things that we need. And everything that was on the list, pretty much I had already found or seen in New Mexico as I was looking for stuff for the other project. So within hours, that deal was put together and I had never financed a film in you know less than 24 hours, which for sure is what happened on, New, on Paul's Promise. And, you know, 32, 33 days later, we're all in New Mexico shooting. So it, it came together very quickly. And that's why I say it was a miracle and it was this thing is supposed to be made. Uh, as far as my role, I basically um, am one of the producers. I, I guess I'm in a sense the lead producer of this particular film um, together with Ryan O'Quinn and Heather at Damascus Road. Um, and uh, we, uh, as a, a, my job was basically to put the entire circus together with them. And we kind of divided and conquered because we had a short amount of time from the time we got financed to when we wanted to be in production because there was a window in there that we could meet that window would be great. And, and it was just uh, every actor that we talked to was like, yeah, I'm in, uh, you know, from Dean Kane to Linda Pearl. And uh, you know, uh, we had a, one of the gentlemen that's uh, I, I think did a phenomenal job. He's actually won some awards for his role uh, was uh, Joseph Cannon, who's been a real, just a, a more than a partner, just somebody that's believed in this project so much and, uh, and, you know, really got involved and wanted to help tell this story. And so it was that kind of attitude that we saw just kind of mushroom while we were producing the show. And so, yeah, I did everything from, you know, hire the, our locals in, in uh, New Mexico to, determining who the director would be to, you know, helping with the casting. And, and then um, I've, you know, so from the very beginning locations, all the elements that need to, to go on, we've been involved in, and then now in the post-production and, and distribution of the film. So um, as I, I watched the trailer and learned more about Paul's promise, I, I see that it's set in the peak of the civil rights movement back in the 1960s. And I don't want to give, I don't want to give away the storyline, uh, but um the film is about Paul Holderfield, who is the main character. It's, a, it's based on a true story. And, yes. and that he was instrument, in, instrumental in integrating churches in the South. Why, why is it important to share that story through this film at this time? Well, you know, when I read it, I was like, man, America is going through this divide of race and culture and me this and me that. And, and I just felt like, when I read it and when my partners read it, we all agreed that it was very timely um, to take that as a backdrop to tell a story of a guy that himself had some issues early on with dealing with race and, and all that. Although, um, you know, he repent, he had some issues where he, you know, he basically turned his back on a, on a life child life friend that, you know, was was uh, you know was African American and uh, and and so in a public setting and and you know and it just consumed him to a point that 
uh, when he he realized that his mistake, he found that man, asked for forgiveness, and through that was born a, a ministry called uh, Friendly Chapel in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, you know, Paul Holderfield, he started by doing what, you know, Jesus would have done, which was feed the hungry, help the needy. But he had this burning desire after basically having a conversion experience that, and no theological background or anything, started this ministry that ended up having a, you know, they call it Friendly Chapel. They started a church basically, but to meet the needs of people in, in Little Rock. And ever since, uh, today, you know, the ministry still goes, they, you know, they, they always, that one of their phrases that they say is nobody wanted us here when we first came and now nobody wants us to leave. Oh. And that just shows the, the depth of what they've done. And I think it's 6 million meals plus that they've provided to the community, uh, since they started and, and, and it's a growing, they do just a tremendous job. And, to me, it was, uh, you know, making a difference. There's someone that's making a difference in his community. And that immediately jumped out at me in the story. Uh, so we thought, you know, in this time of what America is going through, we need people that can bridge the gap, that, that can show that there is really, there are differences in people, but we should respect them. We should, you know, discourse in a civil way. Right. Um, we should argue our points, but without violence. And, and that's really what Paul Holderfield was all about. And I think he's made a difference in Little Rock and his family, his son still runs the ministry now, continues the legacy of his father. And I think that's something that we can all take from as an example. So as we move toward the end of the, the podcast, I want to continue this conversation about Paul's promise. But as the lead producer, Michael, um, how do you foresee this movie impacting the Christian community, if not even a secular community, because we do live in a divided culture here in the United States. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is, you know, we got an exclusive, uh, it's on, you can read deadline, uh, ran a, a made, you know, a story exclusive on it, which is a secular company organization. Um, we're getting, you know, feedback from a lot of different, both Christian and secular uh, media, as far as the story of the film and, and all that. Um, so, uh, I'm hoping that it transcends that, you know, I think it's a, a well-produced story film. Um, so quality wise, I you know, I think it's there. We have some amazing actors in it. Um, you know, people that have a vast experience in making movies and television shows from Matlock to blockbuster films in Hollywood. Uh, so that I think adds to this, you know, what we've seen, you know, right now, I think we're, we're well over a million downloads of our trailer on Facebook um, in just like, a, I think, eight days or 10 days since it was released. And so to me, that shows that there's something there, too. Now, we'll see where it goes, <laughs> but I'm hopeful that people will look at it and realize that, you know, there is there's an option of, you know, for us to come together, regardless of our backgrounds. Yeah. In terms of, you know, the, the, the hope for you is to make a difference and you want this movie to do that. How has it made a difference in your life as you have made it? Well, I mean, I've always had, you know, I have two adopted children, so I've always, you know, they're of a different race than I am. And so I've always been very open to, you know, different, that racial components never been a, 
an issue to me in any way, shape or form um, to me is almost natural. It's like, what, what are you talking about? You know, because of, of, of our particular circumstance. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, what I've, what I've learned from it is that regardless of where you are in your life, whatever you're doing, you could be a firefighter like Paul Holderfield. You could be an accountant and a lawyer. You could be a nurse. You could be anything. It doesn't really matter what you're doing, but you can make a difference in your community. You can be a voice, you can be a light, you can be a, you can be an example. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that actions speak louder than words. And those people that really just do the things that need to be done, and they may not see it sometimes, you know, like in this movie, you know, Paul's, Paul's mother prayed for him almost every day. And she never, she passed away before she saw him converted. So sometimes we don't get the gratification of what we're doing. Sometimes that comes later. And so, but that doesn't mean that you don't stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, I encourage our listeners to check out Paul's Promise, see where it's playing in in their area. And uh, Michael, we are out of time. I'm sorry about that, but uh, it was great to spend time with you. Uh, Thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories Podcast. Great to tell your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.